0: For this week, Um, it is exciting to be able to jump back into the Word of God with you. Um, On last week, if you remember, we talked about what it means to forgive and a faith that forgives, and we went through uh, the book of Philemon. So today we are beginning our walk through the book of Acts, and my prayer is that it will be a tremendous time for us all as we continue to gather together this way. Um, I just pray that your spiritual ears are open, that your spiritual eyes are enlightened, and that we will have a greater understanding of what our purposes are for where we are, even in this day. We have now gotten to a point as we're looking at the book of Acts where I would probably say that I don't think that there is a book in the Bible that is more clear in its instruction and direction to the New Testament church while also perfectly outlining the church's history. The book of Acts comes with an obvious name. It's about acts or deeds or works, but but whose acts, whose works, and whose deeds? Now, many commentators would call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. In fact, Your own Bible probably has it as the Acts of the Apostles, while many charismatic and Pentecostal leaders would say that it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And some people just default to saying that it is the Acts of Jesus Christ. So to, to offer clarity about it, let me just put it to you like this. The book of Acts is all about the acts of the apostles empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue the work of Christ on behalf of the Father. Boom, that is it. It is the full work of the Trinity in operation in the New Testament Church. Now, what's interesting about this book, and I actually got this from John MacArthur, is that this text is both prescriptive and descriptive, which we mentioned what that means a few weeks ago. For us, it is describing and teaching the history of the church, but it is also outlining instruction on what the post-apostolic church looks like for us even today. This book has been called for us the continuation of the gospel of Luke as he is the writer of both Luke and the book of Acts. Now, what we see, though, in Acts that we do not see in Luke is we go beyond just the ministry of Jesus Christ. And it meets us in the continuation of Christ's ministry, but through his faithful apostles for some reason. The church today and some things in the church have gotten lost in translation and many churches and leaders are promoting a brand and a cause and an agenda that is separate than the cause of Christ. But we are only obligated to promote, to push one agenda, one cause, and that is the cause of Christ. Jump with me, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during And while they were gazing into the heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to receive the word of God. Lord, you have given us a cause. You have given us a mission, and a commission, and that is to fulfill the work that you have set before us through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that we will have that full revelation of the work that we have been called to do, and that we will faithfully commit ourselves to that work in you, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen. So, in this text, Luke is redescribing for us what the ascension of Jesus looked like, but he is not doing it just for the sake of doing it, but he is using it as a reminder of what Jesus had left them with. See, when Jesus ascended back into heaven, back to the Father, he gave the apostles there who witnessed it a mission. Now, notice what Luke says. He says, after he had given them commands through the Holy Spirit, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Let's unpack this because this will be an essential point to your faith. Jesus presented himself alive. Notice that Luke is writing here as a matter of fact, and he absolutely leaves no doubt at all. Jesus presented himself alive. He was alive following his death. Let's be real. He had no reason to have any doubt about the fact that Jesus had indeed been risen from the dead. When Jesus was risen from the dead, remember there was something strange about the way that his grave clothes were lying because the Bible tells us that when Peter and the other disciple went into the tomb, they saw the clothes and they believed. Why? Why? Because when they saw those grave clothes lay in the same position that they would have been, if there was a body there, they immediately knew that something supernatural had to have happened. Let's walk through this, but in order to do it, we have to recount John's account of the resurrection together. So jump with me, if you will, to the book of John, chapter 20, verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. The reason I prefer John's account of the resurrection here is because it provides for us what I like to call non-essential details. Now, what are non-essential details? There are these random details that are a part of the story that don't add or take away anything from the story, but it is an eyewitness account, something that a person notes. The non-essential detail that we see here is that John perfectly describes that, Peter and the other disciple are both running towards the tomb, but the other disciple gets ahead of Peter and he gets to the tomb first, but he says he was too afraid to go in. And so Peter being Peter bypasses him and goes right into the tomb. These are non-essential details that a person who's fabricating a story doesn't even think to add. A person who's just writing a story doesn't just throw these non-essential details in here. He's He's just recounting what actually happened here. And so what he recounts is what he sees when they go in. And this is something that I want to go slowly with you in so you understand why Luke is so definitive in his understanding that Jesus was in fact risen from the dead. When they enter the tomb, John is careful to point out that when they saw the grave clothes lying there, they believed. Now, what is so special about those clothes? If you notice, let's just think about this. If the clothes are lying in the exact same position that they were, if a body would have still been in them, you can automatically remove foul play out of the equation. Because if someone had come and stolen his body, they would not have been able to lie those grave clothes in the exact same position that they were in before. So we can rule out, OK, maybe nobody actually stole it, And so the next only possible other than he rose from the dead is perhaps Jesus had been a spirit. The whole time. And this is what many heretics argue about Jesus Christ is that his suffering was not a human suffering, but it was all divine. And he was only pretending to be in a flesh, but was actually a spirit. And so when he was risen from the dead, it was his spirit that passed through. But the problem with saying that one is that if he was only spiritual, then his atonement isn't actually an atonement. And that also means that Hebrews is telling a lie when it says that he has suffered all the infirmities that we have suffered. Therefore, he is a high priest that can be touched. That means Jesus wasn't an immaterial spirit that passed through the clothes. Now, that means when he was risen from the dead, when he was raised from the dead, that means that his material body, supernaturally, miraculously, passed straight through the grave clothes. That is why when Peter and the other disciples look in there, they knew for a fact that he had been risen. Because his physical material body passed straight through. Now, you say, well, what's the purpose in acknowledging the face cloth there? Let me tell you why. Because if there were any doubt that Jesus was a material man in a material body that was risen from the dead back to his body, passing through those clothes, he was able to touch the face cloth and fold it. And so seeing that he was able to touch it and manipulate it and fold it is all the proof and the evidence. And the first proof that Luke is mentioning here, because an immaterial spirit could not have taken a material face cloth and folded, But that's exactly what Jesus did as a material man. So he was actually raised from the dead unequivocally. There is no doubt. And so the reason why they are so enveloped by this, because they immediately are going to have thoughts about what happens with Jesus in the transfiguration where they see him unclothed by human flesh in his true state. And so they run back without a shadow of a doubt in their minds that this man had been risen, had been raised from the dead. There is no doubt here. Not only that, but the Bible says, and this is what Luke recounts many proves that not only did he appear, but he appeared to 500 people after his resurrection. And so there's a period of 40 days and then a 10-day period that leads us up to Pentecost, that Jesus appears to 500 people, he, these here are many proofs. These are many proofs. So when Luke writes this, he isn't just simply telling the history, but he is telling us about provable facts. Now, why does he remind them of this? Why is this so essential if we're talking about the cause of Christ? Luke knows, perhaps like many of us, that the greater the distance is from our leader, we sometimes forget the mission and the objective and the commission that we have been given. And so he reminds them, listen, if you have any doubt about the work that Christ has set before you, remember you saw him even after he had been raised from the dead. And so he reminds them of their mission by reminding them of this event. Jesus said that he would give them a new baptism and that in this baptism they would receive the Holy Spirit. But I like what he does. He then qualifies what he means by the Spirit because you see that they had confusion. They thought that he was going to give them The spirit, and that they could go around and machine gun all of their enemies and reestablish Israel's kingdom, but that was not the case. And so he says it here with almost an inflection. He says, You will receive power, but let me show you what you are being empowered to do. He says, you shall be my witnesses when you receive the Holy Spirit. This is one of the most overlooked things that are clearly stated in the Bible. It is no evidence further than being a witness of the Holy Spirit. This is not about speaking in tongues, which is false evidence of the Holy Spirit, because the Bible never ever states that as evidence of the Holy Spirit. This is not about tithing enough. This is not about being faithful to your church. Those that may be a byproduct of the Holy Spirit, you are not having the Holy Spirit just as a get out of jail free card, a, a tumor zapping miracle. Potion, that is not what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is there to empower us to do what we otherwise could not, which is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Now, When we call ourselves witnesses, we are witnesses because we have a life that is lived that is backed up by the Holy Spirit. Which means if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't be a witness. There is no mission for you if you do not have the Holy Spirit. The reason I'm harping on this is because there are, in fact, churches that teach where you can be saved without the filling of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible actually says in John, in 1 John, anyone who does not have his spirit is none of his. So we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the mission and commission of Christ, which is to tell the gospel to all of the world. That is one of those prescriptive things that we get here. You will receive power, but let me tell you what it will help you do. It will help you tell everybody the gospel. Whether it is in friendly territory, whether it is in enemy territory, whether it is among family members, friends, no matter what the case is, you are receiving power in order to witness. And just so you know this, without the Holy Spirit and without that power, you can't witness. Because the evidence of that Holy Spirit is a life that has been transformed by God, that is committed to seeing other lives transformed by God. This is not about mysticism, people. It is about the practical responsibility of every Christian who has the Holy Spirit, and that is to make disciples out of everyone that we come across. That is what it is. Without the Holy Spirit, our words and our lives lack the power they need to be effective. It is like a car with no battery. It has no power to do anything that is required of it as a car. Now, Luke reminds them that this must be rooted In concrete faith and belief that Jesus is risen from the dead, there can be no doubt about this fact. If you are a Christian, You cannot doubt the most essential component to our faith because it is the most essential thing that distinguishes us from every other false religion. That we have a savior who was God in the flesh, who died on the cross, who did not count it to be robbery, to be equal to God, but he emptied himself out as an offering so that we will be forgiven of our sins and was resurrected on the third day. We have the only belief system that makes that claim. And by the way, he was definitive all throughout his teaching that the only way you can get any righteousness in a relationship to the father is through him. So if you have doubt that Jesus was even the son of God or raised from the dead, then you lack the essential component of saving faith. You must know this. If you're going to be on any mission for Christ, you must believe what does the Bible say that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him you must believe that these things about him are true. If there are no doubts, then you have the conviction knowing that Jesus is real and that he saves to the utmost, he saves. Listen. In this climate, there are many causes for us to get behind right now, but this is the greatest cause that we must all unite over. We must all stand for this cause. Nothing you want to happen in this world will be able to happen apart from a heart that is transformed by God. The only way any person's heart can be transformed is that they hear and respond to the gospel. Nothing else will transform a person's heart other than the gospel. That is the only way a person will have a heart change. The Holy Spirit-empowered, unadulterated, unapologetic word of God. That is how it happens. And you have to have the Holy Spirit, especially in volatile times like these, to be able to tell the truth, knowing the persecution that will come back at you. You must know that you need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to make these proclamations, knowing that your life may be in Even jeopardy, knowing that you may risk what people think about you, what people say about you. The only way you can disregard that is because you have the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. You see how now when you understand that wait a minute I need the holy spirit to be able to reclaim this truth how other people have cheapened the work of the holy spirit by relegating it to things that God never assigned the holy spirit to do it is not some magician it is not he is not some magi- some genie he is a being a person the third person in the trinity that is essential to our lives, that we need not to zap my tumor away, not to get rid of my diabetes, not to heal me of my cancer, but for each everyday conversation that I will have, every walk that I make, every step, I need the empowering of the Holy Spirit to get through the day. How dare we cheapen it? Now, I know this 11th verse ends because it serves as a reminder. I love how it ends. The same way he left is the same way he is coming back. We must have an urgency in us to be about our father's business, to pursue his call and his purpose, to drive men and women alike into the arms of a bleeding Savior. We must have that drive. In Revelation, Jesus closes by saying, Behold, I come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We know that he is indeed risen from the dead. And so if we know that he is indeed risen from the dead, then without a shadow of a doubt in our minds, he will return as well. And he is coming back now. We don't know when that is, but I think we can all look and see the climate and see that our Savior is ever nearer than before. As we see that the love of the world is waxing colder and colder and they're even more evil than they were before. And that is as it gets darker and more self-interested, we must look for his return. But I will leave you with this so that we are not just at home twilling our thumbs until he comes back. We have been commanded in the Bible to work while it is day, because when night comes, no one can work. My brothers and sisters, for all of us, collectively and individually, the night is approaching. The night is approaching. With every passing day, we are closer to eternity than the day before. And we will all leave this world, whether that is through the return of Jesus Christ or our own deaths, we will all make an exit. We must commit ourselves to the cause of Christ which is to get the gospel into the hands, into the hearts, into the lives of everyone around us, because that is what we have been empowered to do by the Holy Spirit. Because we have to work while it is day and commit ourselves to the cause of Christ while the sun still shines. Let's pray.